0: All right, well, good morning. All right, great. Look, see? You're already listening to Luke. That's good. Uh, So my name's Josh. Um, If uh, you don't know me too well, let me just give you a quick introduction. Um, My wife's name is Rachel, and we have two little girls. Uh, We have Autumn, who's three, and Elliot, who's one. So we kind of, you know, have our hands full a little bit, Uh, but it's going pretty good. And yeah, I'm the kids pastor here. I've been on staff uh, for probably a little more than seven months or so, roughly around there. Uh, And I've just been having a great time. So it's been fantastic, and uh, I am blessed that I get the opportunity to talk to you guys this morning. So I don't know about you, but I enjoy um, things like YouTube or Netflix or I have Instagram, you know, like those kind of things. Like, And I think we all know this uh, and because either we've been told or, like, you know, we just know, like, you kind of curate this perfect news feed on Instagram or Facebook or you have this perfect outline of what you're seeing on YouTube or the shows that you watch on Netflix. You've spent a lot of time curating the perfect feed, yes? And so then all of a sudden your kid gets a hold of your phone uh, or maybe for you it's like a niece or a nephew or a grandkid and they start watching all these YouTube videos like Pinkfong, Baby Shark, and next thing you know it, that's all I get. I don't get anything about bread or you know, whatever else. I just get Baby Shark. Uh, and so uh, same thing. You lend your Netflix password to a friend. Next thing you know, you're like, what the heck is going on on my Netflix? And there's like this disruption that happens to this perfectly curated feed that we have on all our different apps when that happens. And that's kind of like how it is sometimes when you come to the scriptures and you read uh, some passage like this about Jesus and what he has to say. There comes this disruption if we're really hearing that Jesus' words start to disrupt our comfortable, curated lives that we kind of make so that we can seek comfort. And then all of a sudden we hear the words of Christ and we're like, oh, I know that's good, but that's hard. And so in this passage today, we're going to see three things about following Jesus that become really evident uh, through his words uh, that he says to these Greeks. So let's dive in. And so the first thing that we're going to see is that following Jesus begins with seeing Jesus. Read verse 20 with me. It says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So real quick, the feast is happening. If this is your first time joining us, Jesus has just entered Jerusalem and the Passover feast is about to begin. And so not only in Jerusalem would there have been Jews, but there would have also been people from all over the surrounding areas, all over the world. They would have made this trek to come worship Yahweh in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And so it would have been hustling and bustling. So there's all kinds of people moving. Everything's going on, right? And so then we get these Greeks who want to come and see Jesus. And they say to Philip, it says in verse 21, So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. The question you will not get this morning is, why? Why? Right? Like there are a lot of whys as to maybe why they came. Like for me, here's one. Uh, So maybe they just knew a famous person was in town. Right? Like maybe you've been, you know, at Disneyland or maybe you've been at Six Flags and you heard rumblings that a famous person was in town. This kind of happened to me in October. I went to a pumpkin patch over in Gilbert and Baseline. You guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, There's a pumpkin patch over there. I'm feeding some goats. I do... Not really like it, but I have two kids and I have to, you know, I have to be the strong one. So I'm like feeding the goats and then I was like totally over it. My kids didn't want to do it at all. And so then uh, I handed, I was like, hey, do you guys want these carrots to these three boys? And they're like, no, we're good. Our dad's going to get some. I see their dad coming up and I kind of like peek and I'm like, "Ah, he looks kind of familiar, you know. He's kind of big, kind of jacked. And so then I go to this other part of the pumpkin patch and I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm like, I really know this guy. okay? like I I really can't put my finger on it, but I know him. And then finally, I get to another part of the pumpkin patch. We're playing. And I see him again. And I'm like, that's it, Michael Phelps. Yeah, you know, he's like at ASU coaching and stuff, doing things. I don't know. And all I want to do is like, why did I want to see him? Like, just because he's famous? Like, do I just want to do one of these things like for Instagram? Like, hey, check it out. Who's at the pumpkin patch? (laughs) Like, what good is it? It does nothing. And so then there's like this moment for the Greeks. Like if you ask yourself, like, why did they want to see Jesus? Is it for their Instagram moment to say they... Had a moment with them? Was it because they were on the outside of the temple maybe and they really wanted to press in to ask Jesus questions about what he's saying? Like, hey, we hear you say a lot of interesting things. We are hearing you say that there's life, that there's this, that there's that about God. Like, we want to have dinner with you and talk to you. Or maybe they're on the side of where it seems there's a lot of people that they just want to kill him too for whatever reason. Maybe he makes them mad. I don't know. There's this huge spectrum as to why they might want to see Jesus. But John, as a good writer, invites us into this moment. And he says this in verse 22. It says, Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So there's like this hustle and bustle of all of Jerusalem. And then you can kind of picture Philip and Andrew just like making their way through the crowds. And maybe Jesus is sitting. And then all of a sudden in verse 23, it says, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man. To be glorified. Did you feel it? This is like the middle of the book, the climactic moment. If you're a Marvel fan, this is like when Doctor Strange is like, we're in the end game now. And then he fades away. <laughs> Nobody? No? All right. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Nerd. Okay, yeah. so anyway, like, it's just like one of these moments where if you've been reading John, like, if you've been reading it, then you know that there has been a shift. It's a huge shift. Jesus has been saying, if you read the first 11 chapters, multiple times he says, My hour is not yet come. My hour is not yet come. My hour is not yet come. And then all of a sudden, right here, because some Greeks want to see him, it triggers something, and all of a sudden, he's like, time to go, boys. The hour has come. What hour? They're like, maybe he's going to go take over the world now. All I know is this, is that the book you are holding was written by a man who was inspired by the Spirit of God, who had a reason as to why he was writing to you. In John chapter 20 and verse 31, he says this, but these things are written So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Following Jesus begins with seeing Jesus. I don't know why the Greeks wanted to see him. But in this very moment, now in chapter 12, John is going to spend the next 9 to 10 chapters letting the reader, you and me, see Jesus. We're going to see him in his serving. We're going to see him in his suffering. We're going to see him in his death and in his resurrection. The Greeks will one day get to see Jesus. But you, the reader, the question is, do you want to see Jesus? Why do you want to see Jesus? Are you here today to see Jesus? Because the beauty of seeing Jesus is that then he invites us into following him. And following him requires death. The following Jesus requires death. It'd be nice if he kind of just stopped there and then was like, yeah, the hours come. It's going to be awesome. Don't worry about it. Then he goes and he says, verse 24. Look at verse 24 with me. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So they hear this moment, this shift, like the hour has come. Maybe the disciples are hyped and ready to go. They might be grabbing a sword or two. Who knows? But then all of a sudden, he's like, let me tell you a story. And they go, here goes this guy again with his stories. You know what I mean? Like a parable that we won't understand. Thank you. You know, like, and it really just kind of like douses the whole moment. And so he says, to everyone, and they probably would have understand this. It's just nature. He says, if I take a grain of wheat and I plant it in the ground, if it doesn't die, it won't bear fruit. So, like I have two little kids, uh, my wife planted sunflower seeds the other day in a pot. They thought it'd be cool to just go take some shovels and dig them up in the pot. Those seeds did not die, and they will not sprout any sunflower seeds. And that's kind of the picture. If it doesn't die in the ground and maybe get some water and sunlight, it's just not going to grow. But if it does, if the seed does die, then it's going to shoot up. There's going to be some heads of grain that come off of the stalk. And in those heads are going to be way more seeds than the one that was planted. It's just math. That's how it is, right? That's how nature works. You plant one thing in the ground and this giant stalk or this tree or whatever you planted comes out and there's more fruit. So Jesus says, a grain of wheat's going to have to fall into the ground. And die in order to bear fruit. And I had the pleasure of going to Preaching Collective. If you don't know, all 10 congregations get together and talk about the text a couple of weeks out. And so I, I was blessed to be able to go. And one of the pastors at Tempe, he was like researching wheat. And it was super thankful for it because I did not think of even researching wheat. I told you, I'm new. So uh, it's like, I was like, this guy knows his wheat. And it's like, he's like coming out. He's like, hey, it, the yield on wheat is insane. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yes, it's, it's amazing that Jesus would use this. And then he's like, and then we can, and so apparently wheat can get diseased and not grow well. It doesn't grow everywhere in the world, right? Like it can get sick and all these things. And so there's this guy he told us about who won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1970. And I went to the internet to make sure I got it right. So here's what it says. Nobel laureate Norman Borlaug developed a short-stemmed Dwarf strain of wheat that dramatically increased crop yields. And it is estimated that the introduction of his strain to less developed countries has saved as many as one billion people from starvation and death. That's insane. That's so crazy. And here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying a better seed is going to get planted in the ground. My body is going to die Then I'm going to be buried and I will rise on the third day. This seed is going to go into the ground and it will bear much fruit, but it's got to die. And this is the thing is that following Jesus requires death. First and foremost, it requires his death on our behalf. That there is no way for Greeks, Jews, or any of us sitting here in 2021 to actually follow Jesus unless he goes first and makes the way and dies in our place on the cross. And so he says that that is what has to happen. And that'd be really great if he stopped there. But then he kept talking. And so he says in verse 25, he says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That verse in verse 25, you may have heard it before. It says, whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it. And you're like, what? What? Does that just all mean we're like Debbie Downers is following Jesus, kind of like this pity party that we just hate our lives. And we're like, I can't wait till heaven gets here, you know, and like this cloud of sadness. You're like sadness from inside out. You know what I mean? Like just everywhere you go, you just like hate life. No. like nobody wants to hang out with that kind of person Anyway. (laughs) I don't think Jesus would want to. So it's like, there's this thing. What does it mean? Well, let's think about the text. The text is written to uh, Jewish people and it's this Jew, written by a Jewish guy. And so in Judaism and in uh, Jewish culture, there's a way to kind of like make your point. And like, it's to express it in this way. Like I, You love this? Well, hate this. And like put them at odds. And so it's really just to make this point, that if you love all that the world has to offer, like if you love your curated life that's perfect, nothing gets disrupted. You love the fortune. You love the fame. You love being in control. You love whatever it is that the world can provide, the comfort, whatever. You love that. Jesus says you're going to lose your life. Jesus says, if you want better life, right? If you want a life that this world can't offer, if you want the life that only the creator can offer, John had started this gospel by saying that in him was life and the life was the light of men and that this word was then made flesh. And Jesus is saying, if you want the life that I can offer, come follow me, but you have to die. And it's this weird Thing in the kingdom of God that if I'm going to go and be with Christ, I also then have to change. Like, you can't stay the same and go with the Lord. You can't say, like, well, Jesus, just hop on and follow me, and I'll just, my life will stay. No, like, Jesus Himself in this moment is going to disrupt the things, and it's out of love that he's going to then work in these moments. We all know what this is like. Like, following Jesus is not easy. It requires death. Like, he's going to work in your heart to combat sin. He's not going to leave you the same. He loves you, but he's not going to leave you the same. He's going to transform you into his image. That's hard work. And it usually happens in moments of life. Today is my 12-year anniversary uh, with my wife. Hey, thanks. 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 It's okay. There's a lot of people who are like not clapping, like not impressed. Okay. <laughs> Get to 20 and talk to us. Okay. So it's fine. Oh, we'll keep plugging away. Uh, so, but you know, like if you are married or if you have a close friend, or heck, if you work around humans, or you drive on the street, there are always going to be human beings who rub you the wrong way, who require you to enter into these kind of like what feels like moments of death and suffering, and for a certain part, they are. And you are going to, if you want the life of that relationship to continue, what are you going to have to do? You are going to have to forgive. You are going to have to love. They don't deserve it. But guess what? The Lord who called you to follow has already gone before. Like Jesus doesn't call us to go do something that he hasn't already done. If he's going to go die in our place so that we might be forgiven freely by the grace of God, then what do you think he's going to call you to do in life? Like, whether it's with your kids, like, super frustrating to have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And, like, I was telling Matthew this week, I was like, worst part of my day is the five minutes that it takes to get to the car. (laughs) Why? Can we not just get in the car? (laughs) It's like, the reason we most often get frustrated, like, is because we are on a schedule. And it's our schedule. And we have these things. And, like, don't disrupt what's going on. we got to get places. But if I die to myself in this moment and try to love my kids well, there's probably a little bit more peace in life that happen. And there's a lot of other things where this happens, where Jesus, in a lot more difficult situations, but Jesus calls us to die. This moment that happens in John happens in all the other Gospels too, if you've read them. And it's like this moment where someone's like, you're the dude, you're the Christ. And he's like, you're right, I'm going to go die. And they're like, What? <laughs> And then he says this in Luke. He says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life, see? It's all just there. Forever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? I love the way Jesus says that in Luke 9.23. He says, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This act, the way the the passage in John is written, is not written as this one-time commitment that we make to follow Jesus. Right? And then we don't, don't make anything else. At all, the, the way it's written is that it's this continual action, this lifestyle that happens in the people of God, that we are a people who are following Jesus, even though it is difficult, right? Even though it leads us into moments of death, but we do it daily, right? And it's not always in these big decisions, but it's also sometimes in these small moments of life. And following Jesus requires... Death. The crazy thing is, is it's actually life. It really is the crazy thing. Because Jesus came as the one who was full of grace and truth. And sometimes we hear the words of Christ and they're so disruptive. And we're like, ah, but I like the way my life is going right now. Please don't read that passage. (laughs) And then we do and we're like, I know what I need to do. Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that the call of the gospel is costly grace. And he says this. He says, such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. Notice what Jesus says in verse 26. He says, if anyone wants to serve me, you must follow me. In that statement is the implication that you are not in charge. Luke gave us this picture of the good shepherd, that the good shepherd's not behind the sheep. The good shepherd is in front of the sheep leading the way. And Jesus is in front of the people of God as the one who goes to the cross, as the one who suffers and dies, as the one who was raised to life. And he calls his people to come and follow him in that way. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that's costly. But it's grace because you get to follow Jesus. Those are the right words. Not because you have to follow Jesus, but you get to follow Jesus. Jesus. Following Jesus is not easy. I've been a part of redemption for almost seven years. I've never once heard a sermon where somebody told me that following Jesus was easy. But I have heard a lot of sermons that said following Jesus and dying to myself and looking to him is totally worth it. And the reality is, is that it's worth it Because following Jesus is fueled by some amazing promises that we do not deserve. I want you to hear these because sometimes when we we read the words of Christ, we really get disrupted and we think Jesus is, man, he's being really hard and there's no grace in his words. But yet John somehow says that he's full of grace and truth. And we're like, we read these words and they don't make sense. And here's what he says. I want, like, as a good teacher, I want you to look for things that speak of the future in verse 25. I want you to see the grace that is in Jesus' words. Jesus says in verse 25 again, Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Following Jesus is not a bunch of empty promises They are promises that are made by the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, right? The reason these promises matter is because of the person who's actually making them, right? John starts off by saying he's the Word of God made flesh. He calls him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He calls him the Son of God. He then also calls him the bread of life and living water. And he calls him the world or the light of the world. Like Jesus is God in the flesh. And he's making these promises and they are the things we cling to. Not because of what they are, but because of who he is and the one he's making or the person who's making them. And so Jesus says that if you hate your life in this world, if you, if you want the life that I have to offer, then you will keep it for eternal life. And that you will find out what real life is when you come follow me. The second promise that he makes, if you keep reading, he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Right? Jesus calls us to follow him. He calls us to follow him into a lot of places that need healing. He calls us into a lot of places that need forgiveness. He calls us into a lot of places where his gospel needs to go and reach out. But he does not leave us alone. Right? He promises his presence. He says that you will be where I am. You will be with me. And so we get the promise of the presence of God as we follow him, whether that's amidst his people in the local church, or whether that's personally as I'm walking in the spirit. I get Christ. I get his presence. I get him. And then the third promise that we see is he says, if you keep reading, he says, if anyone serves me, the father will honor him. Third promise, third guarantee. He says the Father will honor him. Here's the thing. Like, this is what blows my mind. Is that this is all grace. Like, it is 100% grace. We are undeserving. These three promises that we see, this is the good news of the gospel. Because what I deserve is death. What you deserve is death. We are way worse than the diseased strain of wheat that needed to kind of get fixed so that then it could increase crop yields and all these other areas. We're way worse off than that. If left to ourselves, we are rebellious towards our creator. If left to ourselves, we are not people who make good choices when we make our own choices. If left to ourselves, what we deserve is death and eternal punishment. But yet the beauty of John's gospel is that not only did God love the Jews or he only loved the Gentiles, but that God loved the world and sent his son to die in the place of sinners, that the better seed would be planted in the ground. He would then rise and provide eternal life for all who put their faith in him. And not just eternal life as like how long, but the the abundant life, the life and now starts to happen. And then even more so, he not only says, oh, I'll give you life. He says, I'll give you me. I'll give you my presence. I'll fill you with my spirit. And even more, like it gets better. This is what is wild about the grace of God. He now then says, I will honor you. A sinner Rebellious towards God Saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ Who died in my place Now gets to follow Jesus and be with him And then get honored It's wild But I'll just be honest with you Uh, There is something haunting in this passage And the haunting is Verse 25 for me Because I really don't want to live a life That doesn't matter like I, I really don't want that to happen. Maybe it's because you're having kids and you start thinking about that. But the reality is, is I just don't want my life to amount to nothing. And Jesus says, whoever loves his life will lose it. And In the Proverbs, Solomon says, there's a way that seems right in the heart of man, but in the end it leads to death. There is just this way that we can curate a perfect life for ourselves and think that we have it all figured out and that there's no disruptions whatsoever and we're living the good life. But in the end, it's not life at all. And the beauty of this passage is found in the very last verse where Jesus makes this call and he says, if anyone wants to serve me, If anyone wants to see me, not just the Greeks, but you sitting here in 2021, if you want to see Jesus, he says, come, I have eternal life. And by the grace of God, he is the only one who can give it. And it might feel like death, but I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace, that you would even look on us in love and in mercy. We thank you that you're a God who is full of steadfast love and grace towards your people. And so we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the only one who can give life. We pray that we would see him well and that we would follow him in obedience. In Christ's name, amen.